this great, great passage. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance, our God, to comfort all who mourn. In Luke chapter uh, 4, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, and it's important that we get the context of this because I think it's very pertinent to understand what it was Jesus was saying when he quote this passage. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? When we come to this passage in Isaiah, and we see that Jesus quoted this passage, and he said to the people of whom he was quoting it, he said, this scripture is fulfilled today in your eyes. And many people spend a lot of time arguing over the day. They argue over the timing of it. And they miss the message. Jesus was saying, now watch this, that he himself was the fulfillment of the prophecy. The day has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with Him. How do I know that? Because the people understood it. The Jewish people knew the Scriptures. They knew to what He was referring. He's in the synagogue. And they said, they marveled and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? They didn't talk about the time. They didn't talk about the day. They talked about the person. But we seem to be the ones in our religious uh, institutions and in our little uh, sections of religious-osity. We want to argue over the time rather than seeing the fulfillment in the person. The prophecy is about the person. Because in our text, I'm going to show you, there is a first coming and a second coming aspect to this passage of Scripture. And many people say, well, no, it, it can't be. It's already been fulfilled, and, and uh, G- it was fulfilled when Jesus was here, and so that rules out all the future, rules out the kingdom, and etc. No, it does not. And I'll show you why. Everyone seems to go to the timing rather to the emphasis, which is Christ as the fulfillment. You remember back in, I think it was 1988, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 1988. Does anybody remember that? There were books being written. There were people prophesying that on this date the Lord was going to return. I don't know what it is with people that we become fixated and fascinated with the time rather than the person of Christ. 
let me illustrate this. Remember when Jesus was riding on the donkey into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry of Christ. Remember, right? And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know why they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna? Because they thought he was coming in right then, timing, to establish them as the regal people they thought they should be. They weren't accepting him for who he was. They missed the point of the prophecy. The prophecy was, he's the Messiah. He is coming. When are you going to establish our kingdom? So that we're Israel, that we're the great company. Country, excuse me. So the point of this passage is not the timing. The point of this passage is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we go back to verse 1. Notice he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is up on me. Verses 1 through t- one and 2 deal with his first coming. His first coming when he was born, laid in a manger, grew up, and had an earthly ministry. That's his first coming. Those two verses deal with his first coming. Notice what he says. The Spirit of the Lord God is up on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Um, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. And uh, verse 22, I want you to see what he, he says there. Luke chapter 7 and verse 22. This is Jesus again speaking, and he says this. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. What was the prophecy? The prophecy was this. He says, to preach good tidings, the gospel, to the poor. And Jesus says, he fulfilled that. Go tell John and his disciples, go tell them. The poor have had the gospel preached to them. So when he came the first time, he fulfilled this first part of this prophecy at his first coming. He's going to preach good tidings. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, Do you remember the lady that was caught in the act of adultery. And they were going to stone her as the law said they should stone her. And Jesus reaches down and writes in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. One preacher said, I bet he started writing the names of the guys in that crowd that had been with her. I don't know that. I can't prove that. But then he said, you know, of course, you know the passage when he says... He that is without sin cast the first stone, right? And one by one they began to leave. And he looked at her, and he looked at her different than any man has ever looked at her. And he said, Woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, Lord, there are none. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's healing the brokenhearted. How about the woman uh, who had the issue of blood for 12 years? She tried every uh, encanter. She tried every uh, witch doctor. She tried everything she could to be healed, and she could not be healed of that condition. And Jesus is pressing through the crowd. She walks up. She touches him. Jesus says, who touched me? The disciple says, Lord, who touched you? There's There's a lot of people here. How do we know who touched you? And he looked at her, and he saw her. Immediately the blood, the Bible tells us the blood uh, withdrawal from her body drew, uh, drew up and she had no longer had this issue of blood. 
who's healing the brokenhearted? How about the poor fella who never had anyone to put him in the pool? Had no one to put him in. He said, Lord, when I want to be, I want to get when the water stirred up, I want to get in, but everybody beats me into there. I can't. How about him? How about the lepers when Jesus touched them? See, he healed the brokenhearted. How about Jairus' daughter? I mean, over and over and over and over. Jesus shows up four days late on purpose to the tomb of Lazarus. They're brokenhearted. They've lost Lazarus. Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus would not have died. Jesus stands before the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's healing the broken heart to proclaim liberty to the captives. No one has ever spoken to me like this. Remember the, the woman at the well? Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not the Christ? She understood it. She was bound by her, her uh, what's the word? Her sin, her condition, her situation. And he set her free. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us he went out of the way to go to the well to be there when she was there. He fulfilled all these things at the beginning, at the beginning of his first coming and throughout his ministry. Then there are some things that will happen at the second coming. At the second coming primarily in this passage dealing with Israel, the first part is to restore Israel. One of the things that's going to happen, part of his ministry at the second coming of Christ, is to restore Israel. Notice what else he'll do. He'll proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance, our God. We understand that this year, or this proclaiming of the acceptable year to the Lord, is reference to the sabbatical year when Jewish slaves were to be set free. We understand that. We know the day of vengeance of our God will come before, right before the second coming of Christ, when God pours out His wrath on the unbelieving world during the tribulation period. He will comfort all those who mourn. Look at verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion. Has nothing to do with the United States of America. Has nothing to do with our church. Has everything to do with Israel. Zion. Jewish people. This is a prophecy to them about what Christ will do for them. The second coming of Christ. He will give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Remember the Bible tells us that the mourning will be turned to praising. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of the righteousness. The planting of the Lord that He may be glorified. One of the things that's going to glorify God is the restoration of Israel. There has never been a more persecuted people than Israel. 
And interestingly enough, there were two Israel, Israeli uh, men in the government who wanted here recently, they wanted to have a law in Israel outlawing Christianity. And Benjamin Netanyahu said, it will not happen in Israel. 2% Christians make up 2% of Israel in Israel right now, today. 2%. Now listen to this. But they make up 61% of all tourism. Think about that. 61%. I have told you and told you and told you that just because someone is a Jew, born Jewish, does not mean they are part of the elect, part of the believing remnant of Israel. When they are restored, both spiritually and physically, it will glorify God. All those who scoffed and said, look at your people and look at how they're under attack and look at how they've suffered all throughout the years, God will be vindicated when He restores in His timing. Let's uh, continue to read. Look at verse 4. Their physical restoration. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, plural. The desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. It's not happened yet, but it will. So that's how we know that it's a future aspect because it hasn't happened yet. And some will say, well, maybe the Bible's not true. That's not an option. The Bible's true. We know it's true. We know it's going to happen. So they will be restored physically. And they will be restored spiritually. Look at verse 6. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. He's speaking to Israel. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. The restoration of Israel will be both a spiritual and a physical restoration. But it will also be a material restoration. Look at verse 8. For I love the Lord. Love justice. I hate robbery for the burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. The descendants, the descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe today that all the nations look at Israel in that light today? There's not any nation but the United States of America 
And if some in our government get their way, we would be the last one standing with them and we would fall. Everyone else goes against Israel. The United Nations, totally against Israel. The, um, the Arabs can send bombs over there, kill them, and they will be, they'll be quiet. Israel defends themselves, and they get all riled up. Why? It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. That's why I say these things haven't happened yet. And here we are today in our land arguing over the timing of these things rather than arguing the one who's going to make the difference, the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women still must be born again. And the prophecy is about the Lord Jesus Christ. None of these things will happen unless He does them. Unless He does them. Now, the second part of the second coming will be to make Israel righteous. The first was to restore the Israel, but the second is to make them righteous. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. This is about righteousness being restored. Remember the song, um, Behold He Comes, Riding on a Cloud. I can't remember the name of the song. Uh, But in there, one phrase, uh, it talks about, these are the days of Elijah, that's what it is. And it talks about righteousness being restored. You know where that comes from? It comes from here. Do you know how righteousness is going to be restored in Israel? The faithful remnant will turn to faith in Jesus Christ. That's how. The prophecy is not about the timing. Scholars want to argue to show how much they know. But the Apostle Paul says, all I know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I will not boast about anything but the cross of Calvary. We've moved away. I have a friend, and he is, he's a, a good Christian. He goes to a church in Memphis. Uh, his son is in seven or eight years old or so. And uh, we were at the ball game. He helps me coach last night. We were at a game, and he got a text. He said, man, you would not believe what my son did. And I said, okay. He said, I'll tell you later. I thought, uh-oh. Because I've, <laughs> I've had those moments at school where you wouldn't believe what my son did, uh, kind of talks and letters from teachers and all such as that. Uh, <clears throat> but when I got home, he sent me a copy of the letter that the teacher had written him. He said, I want you to know that on recess, your son told five people, explained to them what it meant to be saved. Seven, eight-year-old boy led five boys, or kids, I should say, to faith in Christ on recess. And the only, the only response I could say is, man, maybe we ought to follow his lead. 
Amen. And I've noticed that in our church, the smarter we get, not in our, this, I'm talking about the church, the smarter we get, we think human, humanly, the less we talk about Jesus Christ. The, the more eloquent we think we become and the more programs we have, the less we talk about Jesus Christ. We have forgotten to keep the main thing the main thing. This prophecy is about Christ. And the only hope of the faithful remnant of Israel is through Christ. The only hope for us is through Christ. That's what this prophecy is about. Now, when Jesus stands up in Luke chapter 4, I want to go back to Luke chapter 4, because this is, this, this is wonderful. Do you know that the Jewish people, historically, they knew the Old Testament Scriptures? They knew the Scriptures. There is what we call in the Bible biblical illusion. Has anyone ever heard of that? Biblical illusion is this. You'll find it all the time. Jesus will be teaching and he'll throw out a verse and you think, that verse, I don't know, understand how it fits here. Has anybody ever been reading that? And Jesus will do that. You know what he did? He was, it's called biblical illusion. The Old Testament saints knew the scripture so well. When Jesus would do something like that, they knew the verse before it and the verse after it. And when he would quote something like that, they would immediately know exactly what he was saying. These people here in this synagogue were not amazed and astounded that he said today. They were amazed and astounded that he was claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophecy. That's why all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all who bore witness to him, all that heard it, marveled at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Why did he say that? Because he knew that they knew that he was telling them that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy and it ruffled their feathers. And the scriptures tell us, look at verse 28. So all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill and their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. If they were worried about the timing of it, and they were worried about the kingdom coming then, and Israel being the nation they thought that they should be in the nation of prominence, they would not have forced him to the, try to throw him off the cliff. The reason they're doing that is 
They took issue with his proclaiming that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. It's always Jesus. The rapture of the church is not about the rapture of the church. It's about Jesus. The millennial kingdom is not about our being there. It's about His kingdom. It's about Him. It's all about Jesus. Do you want to know why you can have all these other religions in all these other places and no one will ever say anything about it? Do you ever hear anybody being persecuted because they're Buddhists? Do you ever hear anybody being persecuted because they're Muslim? No. In, in our land, we're, we're, we're like, oh, praise God, you know, we, they're Muslims and there's many roads and we ought to be, yeah, yeah. You only hear of persecution in Christianity. Why? Because of Christ. The devil is more than happy to let someone go along with a false religion that won't get them to heaven. But boy, you start talking Christ. And they're ready to throw you off the cliff. When Jesus stood up and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He declared that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And folks, I believe we need a whole lot more Jesus and a whole lot less of these so-called scholars that argue and bicker over things that don't matter. We need some men and women like that seven or eight-year-old young man who took his recess and explained to five kids what it meant to be saved and led them in, in a prayer of faith. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's right. A child shall lead in, the Bible says. So, may I encourage you? And, uh, you know, it continues in verse, uh, or in chapter 62, but we will, Lord willing, we will be there. I don't want to get way too far ahead of myself. And so, we will just slowly work our way through there. But may we always remember prophecy is about Jesus. His first coming, he came, he preached the gospel, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he set people free. The second coming, he's going to restore Israel. He's going to restore them physically, he's going to restore them spiritually, and he is going to restore their righteousness, the righteousness of Israel. That's what the prophecy was about. There were many in the crowd who thought that they should be, um, what's the word? They should be honored. They should be saved because of their works. But that doesn't help. That doesn't work. We have learned that no one, the scripture teaches us that no one has ever been saved by the law. Salvation only comes through a person, Jesus Christ. And you and I and everyone else must be born 
again. It's that simple. It all begins with Christ. It all ends with Christ. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. The beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you.